Hello, this is Adam Barr. Welcome to the Organic Outreach Podcast. Together, we are learning how to influence our world and share our faith naturally. We do this by providing resources, leading cohorts, and equipping leaders through conferences and intensives. At Organic Outreach International, we believe every Christian plays a part in fulfilling the Great Commission, and this podcast can help you do that. Today, we're going to be having a conversation with Greg Kokel. Greg has spoken on more than 70 college and university campuses around the world. He's hosted his own college radio show for 27 years. He's debated atheist Michael Shermer on national radio and Deepak Chopra on national television. He's the best-selling author of seven books, including The Story of Reality and Tactics, a game plan for discussing your Christian convictions. Greg has been featured on Focus on the Family Radio. He's been interviewed by the BBC. He's been quoted in Christianity Today and the LA Times. Greg received a couple master's degrees along the way, one in philosophy of religion and ethics at Talbot School of Theology and the other one in Christian apologetics at Simon and Greenleaf University. In his spare time, Greg's also an adjunct professor in Christian apologetics at Biola University. You know, there are a couple big barriers that I've, I've seen a lot of people face when it comes to evangelism. First of all, a lot of us just worry about someone asking us tough questions. Another thing is, is we feel like only theologians or pastors can answer those questions. Greg's the kind of guy who can give convincing answers, but he's done more than that. Greg's also formulated some basic tactics that everyday Christians can use to tackle tough questions. So in this episode of the Organic Outreach Podcast, Greg Kokel will introduce us to two simple questions that every Christian should be ready to ask whenever they're asked a question they're afraid they can't answer. So let's join Greg. Well, all right. We're on the line with Greg Kokel, founder and president of Stand to Reason Ministries. Greg, it's good to be speaking with you. Hey, Adam. I'm looking forward to our chat together today. Yeah, we've had a, a few, a couple different chances to, to connect and uh-huh. to meet, and I've always walked away thinking, uh, thinking that it was worth the time, and uh, came away with with some kind of new tactic to put in my back pocket when it came to sharing my faith. So, uh-huh. I'm hoping to share that share that experience with some other people. Sure, looking forward to it. So, Greg, uh, just to get started, so so folks in our audience will have a sense of kind of who they're listening to. Can you kind of give us the back of the book version of your coming to faith? Yeah, actually, ironically, on Friday last was my 45-year anniversary of being a Christian. So I became a Christian. I wasn't raised really in a Christian home. It was a quasi-Christian, but not they, my family weren't believers. Uh-huh. And uh, we did go to church a bit. But um, I, I kind of left that whole scene when I was uh, a high schooler and or a college person kind of in the mid-60s and the late 60s. And the whole countercultural movement was a big attraction there. I left Christianity behind because I felt I tried that and I had all these questions that were never answered. And Kind of been there, done that. Yeah, right. And it wasn't until 1973 when I was 23 years old at UCLA that my younger brother had become a Christian and he was on the West Coast with me and began to talk to me more about Christ. And to be honest, there was nothing that was really related to apologetics, ironically, in what what changed my thinking. Rather, it was a clear characterization of the grace of God. 
I had oh. learned about the law, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. in my previous religious upbringing. Now I was hearing about the grace of God, and it was a message I'd never heard before. And uh, it got me thinking. And it took me about six months of kind of going back and forth and asking questions and pushing back from the table, then coming back to the table for more discussion before I was ready to, uh, to, to give my life to Christ. And that happened in uh, September 28, 1973. But it, the thing was, the way Mark, my brother, had characterized it to me, I realized that this required a whole change in life. I was taking on a whole new trajectory in my life following Jesus. And so my, my life changed rather dramatically. And I joined a Christian community uh, in, in Westwood Village, where UCLA was at. I actually moved into a big house with a bunch of other Christians. And for two and a half years, I got uh, discipled and trained and taught. And that was a huge impact mm. on me moving forward in my life as a Christian. And part of what I discovered there was apologetics, which okay. was good because um, uh, I was out on the street in Westwood Village a lot talking to people about my convictions and, of course, lots of people pushing back uh, <laughs> just like now. And I realized I needed answers. And so I began reading Josh McDowell and uh, Francis Schaeffer principally, those two, to help me. And that really got me launched in my my own interest in Christian apologetics, defenses for the faith, and also help build a really good foundation for my Christian life. Wow. So for you, what I'm hearing is um, it wasn't the intellectual questions that were a barrier for you coming to faith. Well, they were a barrier, but they weren't It's funny. I would raise these issues and not get answered and felt justified then in walking away from the conversation. However, that wasn't really the problem. The real problem was my own heart of rebellion against God and wanting to do my own thing and be the master of my own fate and all of that kind of stuff. I didn't want anybody telling me how to live my life. I had grown up with that. You know, (laughs) I had a dad that did that really bad in my own life and I wanted out of that. But uh, after the Lord got me, and and I would say what it was, was a sovereign work of God's Holy Spirit just drawing me into the kingdom and persuading me deep in my heart that this was true. I can't even think of a particular line of reasoning that was compelling to me. It's just that I had this increasing conviction that this was right. And that's what led me to uh, receive Christ originally. And later on, that that initial action of trusting Christ was strengthened and buttressed immensely by the things that I learned about uh, apologetics and the defense for the faith. Isn't it fascinating how uh, when you come into the faith, when you come into Christianity, um, you get the whole thing. You know what I mean? You, you, you get the whole, you get the, the big picture because uh, a lot of people want to make it simply a matter of the will. Uh, some people want to make it simply a matter of the intellect, but it's really the two connected. Yeah, um, the, well, God saves whole people and all right. of those things are involved in the whole person. You're right. And, and this is why I think Jesus says we are to love the Lord your God with your whole heart soul, mind, and strength. And actually, I think he's not talking about three things, but one thing there, because the heart, according to ancient Near Eastern thinking, was not the seat of the emotions, but it was the seat of the self. Yes. The the whole person. So with everything you've got, the heart, the soul, or rather the mind, the strength, all of this, you're fully in loving God with your whole self. That's what he was after. 
Wow. And so that, that uh, you, you obviously, uh, God gave you kind of a heart and a mind that loves to ask questions, that loves to think, that loves to investigate. Mm-hmm. As he worked on you, softened your, your, your heart and your will towards the gospel, then coming in, you were able to find just probably that joy and that satisfaction of the answers that come with the knowledge of Christianity too. Right. Yeah, it was amazing to me. I remember specifically the, the time I'm sitting at a table, a desk, reading Francis Schaeffer and his very thoroughgoing persuasive analysis of the times and how Christianity fit the big issues. As I read sure. it, I thought to myself, oh my goodness, this stuff is really, really true. I mean, it's really <laughs> deeply true. It was a big eye-opener for me. Uh, my, my, sure. my own convictions were really strengthened as a result yeah. of reading this kind of stuff. Well, and she, yeah, Schaefer just in some ways, I, I mean, I can remember as a, especially as a younger guy, and I still go back to Schaefer on a regular basis, but I'll never forget watching, uh, what is it? How shall we then live? And yeah. Uh, just watching that analysis of kind of Western history and and even as a younger guy in my early 20s, just thinking, wow, this is incredible. It explains the whole thing. Right. Yeah. What I liked about that whole series is it really showed, demonstrated that Christianity isn't just an intellectual, academic, theological matter, but it is something that's meant to speak to our entire lives, all yes. aspects of our lives. Ergo, the title, How Shall We Then Live? That is, yes. in light of all these truths, <laughs> what changes does it make in the full range of uh, of our life's options? And that particular series focused in on moral questions like uh, abortion and uh, the end of life issues like uh, euthanasia and, and the like. But it was a practical application to practical problems we are facing in life of the worldview of Christianity. So you you've just you've just brought me to what I want to be the heart of our conversation. Okay. Um, you used a, a big word that some people might be familiar with, some people might not, that, that word apologetics. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people hear that and wonder, are we talking about apologizing? Right. Um, of course, that's not what we're talking about. Uh, we're, we're talking about something very different. So can you just help us out? What is a, g- a good definition for that word apologetics? Sure. And why does it matter so much if we want to be Christians who share our faith naturally? Right, right. It's an ancient word. It comes from uh, the Greek word apologia that we find in First Peter chapter 3, where Paul says that we should, or rather Peter says that we should always be ready to give an answer and to make a defense for our faith. The word defense there is translated from the Greek word apologia. And so an apology in the classic sense has been a defense for something. It's not saying you're sorry, but is giving a reason for the thing. And mm. you could have all sorts of apologists. I mean, Richard Dawkins is probably the best known apologist for atheism in the world right now. Okay. Um, but Christian apologists emerged in the second century to make a defense for Christianity in the face of the tremendous persecution that they were facing from the secular world and also in the face of all kinds of aberrant teaching that was coming into Christianity there in the second century. And so the apologists were looking both directions. They were looking outside at the challenges from the world, especially persecution, and they were looking inside at the challenges of false doctrine, and they were making a defense for the truth. And so that's what we do now uh, when we give an apologetic or the discipline of apologetics is to answer those outside challenges, and it's also to help guaranteed uh, doctrinal purity, if you will, on the inside by making the case for the truth. So there was a guy who uh, wrote a, a book that was enormously famous, uh, 
it's been about a decade now, and he was I won't I won't say the name of the book or the person, but he was he was talking about uh, people who go around defending the Christian faith, and he said, you know, you don't really need to defend something you love. You know, you just live it out. You just uh, you show people how great Christianity is. I mean, you, you don't need to defend someone that you care about and you that you love. Right. Um. And and he was sort of taking a pot shot at this idea that we need to be. Uh, defenders of Christian truth. Right. Um, so h- help us out here. What's the difference between defending the faith and being defensive, and and why in today why today in particular is apologetics so critical? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, with all respects to whoever the individual was, he's just flat out wrong. <laughs> uh, just because you love something or someone doesn't mean in in the face of cri- criticism, critique, and opposition, we don't have to give reasons to people why they should take it seriously. Mm. These are two totally separate things. It has nothing to do with our love for Jesus. Uh, the fact is, Jesus did apologetics. The apostles did apologetics. Um, the scripture commands apologetics. The Old Testament prophets did apologetics, and they did it all the time. In fact, mm. John, in his gospel, says, the, it, it's in chapter 20, he said, many other signs and wonders Jesus performed, that's miracles, that are not written in this book, but the ones I've written here, I've written in order that you will believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and in believing have life in his name. In other words, John says, I wrote the entire gospel of John, the most famous gospel, right? I wrote the whole gospel as a defense for the claims that we're making about Jesus as Messiah and Jesus as the Son of God, which brings eternal life. So this this is, I mean, pretty straightforward stuff, you know. Um, the culture that we're in right now, incidentally, it, it, it isn't going to do any good. Well, I should back up. That's too strong. Um, it, it, it isn't a secret formula to just live out your wonderful Christian life. And people will see how wonderful you are, and they say, oh, I want to have what you have. Because when Christians live out godly Christianity in our culture today, they get, they, they are called evil. Mm. All right. That's strong. (laughs) Well, they are. I mean, I could give you the quotes. Sure. The talks, I've got all these things everywhere. You know, the, 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 uh, the the people behind all of the, uh, the bigotry in the country, one person says, uh, you know, um, What's his name? Um, you know, regal, uh, politically incorrect TV show. What's oh, his yeah. name? Atheist. Yeah. He says, Bill Maher. Bill Maher. Are, are the Christians, the evangelical Christians, they're the ones who are behind all the bigotry. And and not just him. I'm just grabbing him out of memory. But there's lots and lots. of So, so it isn't as if beautiful, wonderful Christianity just melts people when you live it out. When you live out God, look at Jesus was the perfect Christian in a certain sense, and he got himself killed, for goodness sake. So, <laughs> so you know, this godliness still is attractive to some people, but in a very accostal, uh, a, a culture hostile to Christianity, uh, living a godly life is a bigger of, of a poke in the eye than it is an apologetic to people nowadays. Well, didn't, yeah, I mean, Paul, didn't Paul say, that the gospel in its very nature is, for some people, it's going to be an offense. Yes, it is. And uh, actually, I was thinking of another thing. He said, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer 
persecution. So the point here is living a wonderful godly life is not the magic apologetic to persuade everybody that Christian is one, Christianity is wonderful. Sometimes it does just the opposite. And this is why we have to have more in our wheelhouse, the kinds of things that the, the prophets, the Hebrew prophets and Jesus and those people he trained to follow after him, the apostles, etc., disciples, the kinds of things that they used and what they used was, among other things, evidences to prove their case. And that's what we should be doing too. Yeah. So so what I'm hearing is that as Christians living in the world that we live in today, which in, in a lot of ways, I mean, we could probably spend a whole episode saying, looking at the parallels between where we are now and where those uh, second century, uh, second and third century apologists were. Yeah, just read Second Timothy chapter three. It's all yeah. right there. Right. It's all right there. And beginning um, in chapter four. Yeah. What, what I'm hearing is, is that as Christians, it's not going to be enough for a pastor or for an apologist like yourself who has a radio program, but that Christians in general are going to have to learn how to share their faith. So question, what are some of the main Christian, uh, some of the main struggles you've seen Christians having when it comes to being able to defend their faith? Sure. Well, there's a couple of things that come to mind, Adam. One of them is that they are understandably afraid that they are going to face challenges that they cannot answer. Okay, so that's one concern. Secondly, as, as the culture gets more and more hostile, for us to take a biblical stand on our views, and that would mean that we think that Jesus was right about what he claimed about himself, and therefore our views are correct when it comes to religion. Even if we're not doing it in an arrogant fashion or defensive fashion, it is still so wildly politically incorrect to make such claims <laughs> right. that you're going to get all kinds of pushback from the culture. And the pushback is not going to be on your message. The pushback is going to be on your character. Hmm. You are bigoted, you are narrow-minded, you are arrogant, and you are intolerant. Notice all of these are changing the subject. They're not responding to the truth claim about Jesus. They are faulting the Christian for believing that he's right in this. So this understandably creates a little bit of apprehension in the Christian who is to go out in that environment and to deal with the challenges and bring this message that people are responding so negatively to. So I understand their reluctance. Yeah, it's kind of like saying, hey, why don't we blindfold you and send you across a a, a, a Land, a field of landmines. That's right. Have or a, fun, have fun. a busy, a busy freeway, you know? Yeah. Hey, yeah. have a nice day. So, how, so, I mean, I, and I get that. I mean, I, uh, uh, I, I've studied myself. I mean, I went, I went to seminary and, and have done, looked at philosophy and looked at apologetics. And I mean, I myself, you know, you hear certain questions. It's like, you feel your stomach drop or you, right. your, your throat clenches up where you're, you kind of go into this mode, like what in the world do I say right. so that I don't embarrass the kingdom of God? And how, how can you, this is, this is where you have done so much work and, and helping us. So how do you demystify the process? What, how yeah. do we do this without carrying around a library of books in our head? Sure. Well, I, I, first of all, I've experienced all the emotions you just described, Adam, and many other Christians do in the process. And, and for 45 years working at this, I've kind of worked out a couple of things that really helped me. Um, I will say something about the knowledge. You don't need the knowledge to get started. 
However, and I'll, I'll give you some very handy tools that will help a person who knows hardly anything, who knows almost nothing, you know, yeah. in these areas to kind of maneuver graciously and comfortably at no risk and still be able to make a difference. However, you, you know, knowledge is a very high virtue in uh in scripture and so we want look at the book of proverbs it mentions it all the time in addition to other places so we we do want to be um uh, aware of and be vigilant in some measure to kind of bone up on the knowledge on some of these things and and especially as the culture heats up um it's going to be hard to make a lot of progress unless we can begin to deal with some of these broader issues that come against christianity and this is why we have conferences and there are all over the country not just ours sure not just for stand to reason but others and and books uh that are all over the place there's a plethora of information that people can use right now and our our well-owned website at str.org is really meant to be a go-to place for that kind of information However, what people need most right now is a game plan. Yeah. And so the book I wrote, Tactics, is subtitled A Game Plan for Discussing Your Christian Convictions. And so what I do is I chart out, uh, first of all, a modified goal and then a plan to accomplish the goal. The modified goal that I suggest to people, and some people don't like this, but I'm just going to say it, is not to win someone to Christ in that conversation, Mm. is not to get them to sign on the dotted line. It's not to close the deal. You're not looking to hit home runs, okay? The modified goal is just to make a little progress Mm. in that person's life. So I call that gardening. Because before there could be a harvest, there always has to be a season of gardening. And I actually think most people are not harvesters. Most people are gardeners because that's where the real work is done. Think about it. When the harvest is ready, the fruit pretty much falls into the basket. It's easy. All right. Right. Um, But the hard work is the gardening. And I think most people are gardeners. I'm a gardener. I'm not a harvester. I admit that readily. Um, So if we think, all right, uh, maybe I'll just commit myself not to win that person to Christ, but to help them get closer to that by doing some gardening. Um, then, uh, so that's my goal. And I, here's the way I characterize it. I call it putting a stone in someone's shoe. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I Just love that putting a stone in their shoe. It's, it's, uh, I tell secular audiences, I'm not here to convert you. I just want to annoy you a little bit, <laughs> <laughs> but in a good way, I want to put a stone in your shoe and they all chuckle like you did because, well, they expect the Christian to annoy them. So I say, okay, I'm your guy, but I think you'll thank me when we're done. So uh, I'm just, I have this modest goal. So my modest goal then is fulfilled by executing my game plan. And I use a, a core tactic that I have called the Colombo tactic after Lieutenant Colombo of ancient TV fame, who would would catch the bad guy or gal, as the case may be, based on kind of harmless sounding questions that he would ask. Gee, there's something about this thing that bothers me. You know, he, he, he always seemed kind of kind of clueless, clueless until right, right up into the point where he's reading the guy's Miranda rights, right? Yeah, right. Exactly. Before he, he exactly right. Perfectly put. And so this is the way we want to come across. We want to come across like we just have some questions of a person. 
Now, notice when you're asking questions, you're being polite, you're drawing a person out. But when you're asking the questions, the burden is not on you. The other person does most of the talking, mm. okay? You don't have to defend anything if you're just asking questions. But the other person, that um, you have no burden of proof, but you're getting information from the other person and the nature of the questions forces the other person to think more carefully about their own view. Mm. And I'll just give you a secret. I'm going to give you two little uses and questions uh, in just a moment, um, just by quick summary. And you will be amazed at how how much progress you can make with two simple questions that requires the other person to examine their own view, whatever it is, or their own challenge against Christianity more carefully and all you do is listen. That's mm. it. The first two steps of the game plan, there's three of them, but the first two steps get you going when you don't know anything. Those things are immensely powerful to make progress even when you don't know theology, you don't know apologetics. Okay. So well, what are they? <laughs> okay. That's what I want to know. What are the questions? I can ask here's, questions. Yeah, here's the first question. It's some form of the question, what do you mean by that? Hmm. So, so I got in a conversation, it's in the book, with a witch in Wisconsin because she was wearing a pentagram, a five-pointed star, which, I, which, which is often a, an occultic symbol. And sure. I asked, does that symbol, does that necklace have religious significance to you? And off we went into a conversation as she explaining wow. all this other stuff. So I'm showing an interest to her. She's talking to me. Fine. Okay. Now we're into a conversation and I'm getting lots of information from her. Sometimes mm. people will raise an objection. They'll say, well, the bio, everything's relative. So Christianity is relative. And instead of mounting a defense, which many Christians won't be able to do on that challenge, why don't we just ask, what do you mean by relative? What do you mean by everything is relative? Now, I've just given two simple examples. And I'm sensitive to time here on our podcast, but it, it, this can be used with all kinds of things that come up as you're seeking more clarification about a person's own views or about their particular challenges to Christianity. And it seems to me that that, that question can, can – you don't just have to ask that question once, but like – as they give an answer, you can probably use that question to have them peel back another layer, right? Oh, absolutely. Well put, Adam. And there's all kinds of layers in there that I promise you almost everyone you talk to has not thought about. Okay. That's why a lot of times when you ask, what do you mean by that? You're going to get silence. <laughs> Dead air, you know, which on radio and podcasts is not good, you know. So, so there's a start. You okay. can be a student of other people's views. Mm. Find out. Remember, you're not on the on the block here. You, you're not advancing your own views. So there's no danger. Here's the second question, though. The first question, what do you mean by that? Or some variation is meant to help you know what the person thinks. There's another step. You want to know why they think what they think. Okay. And so what this means is when somebody offers their view, even in challenge to Christianity, it is not our job first to refute their view. Oh, I hear the reasons why you're wrong. Okay. Which the young Christian or the uneducated Christian may not have the reasons, but it's first the other person's responsibility to defend. Okay. That's called the burden of proof. And so our second question will be, 
Once we've asked, what do you mean by that? Now we got their idea. Here's the second question, some form of, now how did you come to that conclusion? Hmm. Or, well, that's interesting. What are your reasons for thinking that's the way it is? Or what's your evidence that what you just described to me is actually so or really true? Again, the Christian is being the student, not the preacher. Mm. The student is being the student, not the apologist, not the theologian. You're not being clever. You're just trying to gather a different kind of information. Now, what this gets you as a, as, as a Christian in the process, it gets you, first of all, hopefully a lot of information. Though, remember, when you ask either question, since they require that the other person be thoughtful about his own views, you're going to get silence on both questions lots of times. Yeah. Let them work through it. All right. But it gets you information about their view. It also forces them to be clear about their own view. And sometimes what happens is they realize they don't have any good reasons for their view. Hmm. Oh, wow. And that becomes kind of an aha moment for them. Yeah. Which means you've just put a stone in their shoe, even though you have not contributed anything substantive, no apologetics, no theology. You've just asked a question, but it got them thinking in a productive way. And we can be kind of one link in a chain that hopefully leads them to faith. Oh, that's the idea of the gardening. We're, we are part of a big team, and Jesus talks about this towards the end of John 4, after the woman on the well. He said, you are about to reap where you did not sow, and so that the one who sows and the one who reaps can rejoice together. Amen. So we have one field, one team, two different seasons, and two different kinds of workers. <laughs> that's and, awesome. Yeah, it's really great. And you know once what? you put this into your head, it really can be freeing. So the two questions, what do you mean by that? And how did you come to that conclusion? Um, Correct. You know, Greg, what I love about this too, it kind of brings me back to where we started, which is the whole person. Um, we Sometimes we think of defending the faith as a, as a merely intellectual exercise or an adversarial experience. Uh-huh. But when you're asking questions like this, what you're saying to someone is you you care about who they are, right? So anybody gets mad, I lose. Right. I want a calm, peaceful conversation. And this is what you're largely going to get if you're simply asking genuine questions to find out what the other person actually believes. So it is a great launching pad for further conversations. That's awesome. So no need to panic. <laughs> no need to panic. No, exactly right. Listen, um, Adam, when I give th- th- this kind of training um, or people who read the book, the most common response I get from them is, and I've heard this over and over again, is this book, this material, this tactical game plan changed my life. Because they realize how fruitful it is in conversations and how easy it is to do and how it takes tremendous amount of stress out of the interaction with non-Christians. Well, that's incredible. Greg, I... Uh, we're reaching the end of our time here, but I just want to thank you so much for joining us. I'd love to have you on again to talk about this. Are you open to that? Oh, I'm game, brother. All right. <laughs> that, sounds, that sounds great. I think we just started scratching the surface. But again, um, a, a place to get started with this uh, for people who say, I need to learn more. Where would that be for us, Greg? Well, str.org is a broad, I mean, it's that's our, 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 our storehouse of information. We have thousands of articles. We have over a thousand videos they can watch. And these are short 
five, four to five, six minute vignettes. So they can get it quickly in video form, answers to all kinds of challenges. I encourage people to think about uh, podcasting the radio show called Stand to Reason. Okay. They can do that uh, at str.org or also at uh, iTunes. But get the book Tactics. Yeah, um, That is going to be a tremendous help for them. And it's an easy read and it's practical just the way we've been talking at them. So I hope they grab a copy of that. Well, Greg, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Brother, God bless you. God bless your ministry. We'll be praying for you. You're out on the front lines there uh, and, and, and on the radio and on podcasts. And uh, thank you for the work you're doing to help well, us get better yeah. at, at, at sharing the faith. You're really welcome, and I do appreciate your prayers. There's a lot of pressure on this end, you know, but I'm glad to be in the fight and helping out, and I appreciate chatting with you, Adam. All right, we'll see you later. Bye-bye now. Wow, that was fun. I've had a few different opportunities to hang out with Greg, and I just got to tell you, he's, he's, it's like grabbing a tiger by the tail every time we're together. Greg's a man with a, a passion for the truth and, and a heart that just loves to talk about it. I'm grateful that we all had a chance to hear from him. I want to encourage you, be sure to check out the Stand to Reason website, www.str.org. Also, pick up a copy of one of Greg's books. Tactics and the Story of Reality are two books that are just excellent, and you can pick them up at your preferred bookseller. These resources are going to help you explain your faith to a world that's looking for answers. Well, that's it for today. But before I go, I want to give you a chance to take advantage of an opportunity. I'm excited to announce that we are forming the Organic Outreach Media Squad. Each time a new podcast is published, we want to reach as many people as possible and we want to add new subscribers. So will you help us do that? It's easy to join the squad. Simply email us info at organicoutreach.org and let us know that you'd like to be part of the Organic Outreach Media Squad. Each time a new podcast is published, you're going to receive an early notice via email. We'll give you a short description of the episode, sample text that you can use in your social media or email, and a graphic that you can use to post. That's it. That's all you've got to do. Simply spread the word. Again, if you want to join the squad, just email us info at organicoutreach.org and we'll get you hooked up. And also, I tell you what, the first 50 people who join the squad are going to get a special gift. For now, this is Adam Barr reminding you, make time to share God's life today.